Moses, at least the first 16 chapters of the book of Exodus, we're looking at the, the process of God rescuing. God rescuing his people out of slavery, bringing them out of Egypt. And so we'll be tracking the first 16 chapters of the book of Exodus. Um, I thought by way of catch-up, we would look at a map. Why not look at a map? So basically, our study begins with Moses being born and kind of raised around the palace of Avaris, which is the yellow circle in the upper left side up there. It's labeled Ramses, Avaris and Ramses, same location, new name, old name, that sort of thing. So in the city of Avaris, but then when Moses is 40 years old, he murders an Egyptian and he runs for it. He, he runs as fast as he can to get out of Egypt and that red line is the route that Moses would have most definitely ran on. It is the fastest way to Midian. It is across the, the desert highway, which isn't the, isn't the easiest highway, but it's still, it's the fastest way out of town. If you murder someone, you're probably going to take the fastest way out of town. So that's, that's him. He's, he's zipping out. Uh, he's got death hanging on his shoulder. The, the Pharaoh's out to get him. So he runs across the desert highway. He goes to the ancient land of Midian. Midian is the red square area. I circled it in yellow because yellow, woohoo, it's like McDonald's colors, right? So I got, I got this red box and, and Midian. So he goes into Midian where he spends the next 40 years working in Riol's uh, family. Um, and he's a shepherd and he marries one of his daughters. He spends 40 years there. Now, uh, what I want to highlight is the events of today take place in Midian, okay? They take place while he's a shepherd in Midian. We're going to be in Acts, not Acts, we're not going to be in Acts very much at all. Uh, we're in, in Exodus chapters end of 2, 3, and, and end of 4. Um, that's going to be take place, a conversation with God at the burning bush takes place here in Midian. Now, I want to just highlight this, not to be snarky or a pest or anything like that, just Bible fact, okay? Um, the events take place at the burning bush. It's going to tell us that the burning bush is at Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Mount Horeb's other name is Mount Sinai. They're the same mountain. Lots of Bible events take place on Mount Sinai. Um, modern day, we have a mountain that we call Mount Sinai on the Sinai Peninsula. That is in the land of Egypt, which is in between those two river or not like, not river, sea, red sea bits that, that hang up there. That's my red sea dance. Uh, so right in the middle of there is, is uh, Mount Sinai um, that we call today. But the Bible Mount Sinai is a different mountain, and it's in Midian. The Bible always declares it to be in Midian. So when we get there to that part of our study, we will look for what the Bible is referring to when it talks about Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai. But that's for another message, uh, not even in part one of this journey, probably. We'll, we'll see, we'll see what goes. Okay, so that's, that's our, uh, the other thing I want to highlight is there's a blue line on the map. The blue line is the Egyptian boundary marker about that time, it's, it's area. Uh, you can see it goes up the Gulf of Aqaba, and it goes up into the Rift Valley a little bit, and then it cuts over um, before the land of Canaan, although Egypt's influence goes uh, at different times, way up through the land, uh, which we think of as the land of the Philistines and the land of the Bible. So it, it, can, it continues, but that's kind of generally the, the outskirts of Egypt's power at this particular moment. And it's not at its strongest, as you might remember from, from our chats before. Okay, so we have a lot of Bible to cover today, lots of it. And this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible where God is going to meet with Moses at this bush that is burning, but not burning, but is burning, but isn't, but is, but isn't. And he's going to have this conversation. He's going to call Moses uh, into his life's work and his life's ta task, his purpose for, for being born and preserved throughout these years. It's a big portion of scripture, and we're going to spend 85% or so looking at what God is like. 
And we're going to think about what God is like. We're going to learn what God is like. And then maybe 15% or so looking at Moses' responses and, and our responses. Uh, but the main thing that I want us to do is really look at and learn what God is like. What God is actually like. And I want, I want as we look at what God is like, to, to let that be an anchor for us. Uh, especially for our faith, because at times God asks us to do things that are stretching, or things that are uncomfortable, or things that we may not be super excited about, or maybe we find scary or, or big or dangerous. And, and yet the more that we are anchored and focused on what God is like, what He's actually like, it can help us to trust Him when He asks us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Uh, and trust Him in faith. So, we're going to be wowed. We're going we're gonna to think about God today, and we're going to focus on that. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 2 to begin with at the very, very end. We left off three verses at the end in Exodus chapter 2. So we're going to start there, starting in verse 23 of Exodus. We read this, uh, and here's the starting point of, of where we're picking up today. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. Again, uh, we've, we've talked about Kenneferi and how he was definitely a long-reigning pharaoh. According to the royal canon of Turin, which I showed you several weeks ago, it had lots of holes in it. It mentions his name, but it, the part where it says how long he reigned, it isn't messing, uh, me it's, it's missing. And so um, we don't know exactly how long he reigned, but there's statues of him everywhere, which means he was pharaoh for a long time. The archaeology and the Bible are right in sync here. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their, the difficult labor ascended to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Okay, we'll talk about what God's like. This is the starting context for this story, but it's also the context of your life right now. This, this insight we're getting about God is true. It was true. It is true. It will be true. And the first thing we learn about God in this story is three things. Number one, God hears, God sees, God knows. And we're going to truth type this. Uh, not us, but they will. We're going to truth type this, and we're going to truth talk this. But when we do this, I want, I want us to declare it personal. I want you to declare it, God sees me. That is our starting point in this story. God hears me. God sees me. God knows me and my situation. That is an anchor, joyous truth. And we're just going to declare it. Type it, type it. Type it boldly. I don't know if you can use bold on, on, on the chat. But uh, type it and then we're going to say it. And say it like the joy that it is. The joyfulness that it is. Alright. God hears me. God sees me. God knows me in my situation. Alright. Three, two, one. Here we go. God sees me. No. Sorry. Let's try it with here. It, we'll, follow, we'll follow the right way. Three, two, one. God hears me. God sees me. And God knows me in my situation. Because that is glorious truth. 40 days of prayer, 101. Uh, we're spending 40 days praying uh, because God hears, God sees, God knows. And so we're going to be appealing to him. This is a quick little plug. And so this is what was true with God with his people back then. This was the starting point of the story. And it is exactly true for you today. And you might not feel like it's true for you. You might not feel today like, like God hears you. 
that he sees you, that he knows what's going on in your life, and you're like, no way, no way, God never hears my prayers you might be feeling. I pray, and nothing happens. Nothing happens whenever I'm suffering, and, and God doesn't seem to do anything ever. I cry, and I'm crying out for mercy and for help, and I'm, I'm miserable. I'm begging God for help and for rescue, and all I feel like is I get, ever get a silence. I feel like God is as far away as it is possible to be, and, and nothing ever happens in response to my prayers. And this has not just gone on for weeks or months, but this has been years, and even all of my life, I've never feel like God ever hears me, ever. And that's what you feel, and, and I'm saying God hears, God sees, God knows, and you're like, it doesn't seem like that way at all. And I get that, but let's talk about what's true. What's true, think about these, these Hebrew people, the Jewish people in slavery. Okay, think about, think about their situation, in which God is speaking into Right? They, they're, they're, they've been in slavery now for at least a hundred some years, at minimum a hundred years. And the average life expectancy now, as we looked at a few weeks ago, according to the Bones and Avaris, is 29 to 32 years age, average life expectancy. We're not talking about years of praying and feeling like God hasn't heard or done anything. We're not even talking about decades of praying and hearing and feeling like God. We're talking generation after generation. We're talking multi-generational praying and pleading with God in misery and, and not seeing any evidence at all of God's rescue and, and God's breakthrough. And, and I'm sure that you can understand how these people might be feeling like God doesn't hear me. Because nothing's happened, and nothing happened in my dad's lifetime, and nothing happened in my grandpa's lifetime, and nothing happened in my great-grandpa's lifetime. And we've all been praying the same prayers. It, it, God doesn't know my misery. He does, he's not paying attention to me at all. But the thing is, that's not true, and God makes it clear, and he states it right at the beginning. God hears. God sees. God knows. No matter how far you feel that God is away right now. Maybe you feel like he's just nowhere close to you right now. No matter how long your suffering has lasted, no matter how long you've been praying and pleading with God to, to intervene in your life, and maybe your prayers have gone seemingly unanswered, what I want you to know, fact, God hears you. God sees you. God knows. That's a powerful beginning to this story, and that's, that's where this story begins. That's where you are at today with God. Let's keep reading. Meanwhile, verse 1 of chapter 3, meanwhile Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Uh, just quick thought, it says meanwhile, meanwhile. So you've got this slavery and, 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 and you, you see this God hearing and, and this difficult labor going on in Egypt and this, this cry going out for help. Meanwhile, as in off in another country, as in a long ways away, uh, this guy who has never had any thought to re ever return to Egypt, has no desire to return to Egypt, he's just minding his own uh, sheep or something like that. It, it, it just gets me thinking about, again, these poor slaves, right? They're crying out to God for rescue, but they can't see with their eyes any hope of rescue. They can't see anyone in the whole nation that is at all able to bring about the rescue of their people. They, they can't see any help. So often in our lives, the rescue of God, the answered prayers from God come from directions and sources that we can't see coming. And if you base the probability of the answers of your prayers based on what you can see, you are blind. 
because there's so much more options out there well beyond what you can see or perceive. These guys, these slaves can't see anything on the horizon. Could they be thinking about Moses maybe? Maybe they remember. No, probably not at all. It's been 40 years. Again, the average lifespan is 30 years. We are talking, if the, those who were adults hoping for maybe Prince Moses to be their rescuer back in the day, that would have been three slave generations ago. Right? You would have the adults back then, and then, uh, then they would have died, and then a whole generation has come, and then they would have died, and then, and then a new generation. would be. They're not thinking, oh, maybe Prince Moses will come back and rescue. It's been three generations. If you can't see any hope anywhere on the horizon for you, and, and your situation, keep praying. Keep, keep praying. Who knows? God might be bringing hope from somewhere well beyond your ability to perceive. He might be setting up. Meanwhile, somewhere else, God is in the process of stirring up the answer to your prayer. And you can't, you have no idea. Because you just, it's well out of your, your thoughts right now. Quick note, my Bible says here, now this guy, his father-in-law is called Jethro. In the last chapter, it was Ruel, and it says in my Bible notes, which I'm, I'm just going to roll with that, that Jethro is his first name, and that Ruel is maybe his clan name, or his, his family name. Just, anyways, it's the same guy. Same guy. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 2. Then, so he's, he's there at the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And Moses looked. He saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. Okay, very common. It's, it's blistering desert out there, right? It's super hot, very easy. Lots of reasons why a, a bush might catch on fire. That's not the strange thing. He would see that all the time. The, the strange thing is that it's burning but it's not burning. But it's burning, but it's not burning. But it's burning, but it's not burning. And so Moses thought, I must, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't this bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush. Moses, Moses, Hanani, or here I am, he answered. Do, do not come any closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, or your fathers. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then Yahweh, then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of the people in Egypt. I've seen. I have heard them crying out because of their oppression. I heard. I know about their suffering. God knows. And I have come down to rescue them, to save them, to rescue them. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Long answer prayer. I've come down to, to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So, because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, because I've heard their cries, I've heard their prayers, I've heard them plead, because they have continued to pray for me, again, they have continued to pray, I, I, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Again, you combine the power of persistent prayer and being oppressed, 
or being weakened or, be, or, or in context of suffering and it's powerful. Persistent prayer plus suffering and, and sometimes it is self-imposed suffering such as fasting. You know, I'm weakening myself. I'm humbling myself with fasting. I'm, uh, again, the, you know, I'm, that's, that's, part, that's part of the reason why we do that because that enhances our prayers. But these people, they're in, in, a, in, a, in a great suffering position. If you want actually the strongest prayers, I think the formula that I can, the, the formula that I would put together as the strongest prayers are suffering, righteous living, righteousness, and faith, and persistent praying. You put all that together, that is a powerful, a powerful grouping of, for prayer. Anyway, so um, their cry for help has come to me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, God answered, I will certainly be with you. I wish you would know that for you. <laughs> I will certainly be with you. And I gave you the Holy Spirit and it's dwelling in you permanently. I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Uh, at this one. Okay, let's, let's see what we've learned about God in this section of scripture here. Okay, we've seen here that God calls. We've seen here that God sends. Like, let's go, I'm sending you. He's called Moses. That God rescues. I've come down to rescue. If we're going to truth type this one, if we're going to truth talk this one, if we're going to truth preach this one to ourselves, we're going we're gonna to personalize it and we're going to say, God calls me. He has called you. We'll talk about that. God sends me. God has sent you. And God rescues using me. God rescues using me. We're going we're gonna to truth type this. We're going to truth preach this. We're going to truth talk this. Um, three, two, one. God calls me. God sends me. And God rescues using me. Oh, I love this. I love this. Moses is asked. We're going to talk more about that in a second. Moses is asked in verse 11, who am I? Like, God, who am I? God's like, I'm not even going to answer that question. I'm not even going to answer that because that, that doesn't, that, that's completely irrelevant to what we're talking about here. I'm not going to answer this who, who am I question. The, the, the answer is I will be with you. That's all you need to know. That, that I will certainly be with you. Because like it doesn't matter what you're naturally able to do or not able to do. What you think you're going to be able to do. What you think in the realm of probability and as you kind of speculate what is most likely to happen. All that matters is, is that I am certainly with you. And that changes everything. It's easy to say that about Moses, but can you say that about yourself? With the confidence that the certainty that God is with me changes everything? Now, God has called you. He has called you by name. He has called you to believe in Jesus. He has called you to trust in him. And he has, he has sent you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And I will be with you, Jesus says, even to the end of the age. You see all these things in Matthew chapter 28, the, the Great Commission. And, and, and you might think to yourself, having this commission about going and telling people about Jesus and making disciples and seeing them grow. You might, think, you, you might think to yourself, okay, but who am I? Who, who, who am I to, to be able to see my friends and co-workers give their lives to Jesus? 
Who, who am I to be able to, to disciple these people in my workplace or in my school or, my, or, or in, in, my, in, my, in my social uh, spheres? Who am I to disciple them? Who, who am I that, that people would give their lives to Jesus because of my words or my example or, or, or my, my effort? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who, who you are. Or, or if you're good at talking, or if you feel like you can't, every time, you, I don't know if you're, you're like, as you feel like every time you try and tell somebody about Jesus, your mind goes blank and your words go weird and, and you can't even, you're like, I'm, I, 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 I don't, ah, you know, you're like, I, I'm, and you're finally just like stumbling over what to say when you're trying to tell people about Jesus and you're like, Jesus, I, I know that you give me this great commission, but I, I can't even talk. When I'm, when, like, who am I? I can't even talk when I'm trying to tell people about Jesus. The thing is, it's never mattered. It's never mattered if you think that you can reach people from Jesus via your, your words or, or, or whatever. The thing is, we've been called to do that. And we've been, we've, been, we've been sent to do that. And so we go for it. And maybe it'll be easy sometimes. Or maybe it'll be really difficult. Maybe it'll take a long time. Sometimes you go up to somebody you're like, hey, I feel like God wants me to tell this person about Jesus. And you go up to their door. And right before you knock on their door, uh, you don't, we don't knock on doors. Uh, right before you push the buzzer, they come flying out of their clothes. And they say, not, not their, yeah, they come flying out. And they, and they say, before you say anything, please tell me how to become a Christian. Right? And sometimes people are really ready. I don't have any examples in my mind of that ever happening, but I'm sure, I'm sure somebody does. Other times, it just takes years. It takes patience. It, it takes uh, prayers, years and years of praying. But the thing is, we have this commission, and we've been sent to be about this. God's rescue plan for people that you know probably includes you, who have been called, who have been sent to see people rescued through your efforts, but through the power of the cross. And through the work of Jesus, by, by letting them know uh, what Jesus has done for them. So you've got that mission. Pray, speak up, love well, be bold. God calls me, you. He, he sends us and he rescues using us. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, it says, Then Moses asked God, if I go, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Names are a big deal in the Bible. Right? Names are a very big deal, especially connected to God. And when God changes someone's name or when God names someone, names are a very big deal. It, it, it reveals the, the nature, the heart of, of this person. And so, God, what is your name? What is it, your nature? How, what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, or Yahweh, I am, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say, to the, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, it says in English, but it's Yahweh. It's his name. Yahweh, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And then God says, this is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So God says uh, to Moses that Yahweh is the name that he is to be remembered by. I grew up in a household where we did not use God's name. 
We didn't say the name Yahweh. And that because Jewish influence in the background, probably all of us have been impacted by that. Jewish people do not say the name Yahweh because, um, because one of the greatest uh, sins in the Bible it seems to be misusing the Lord's name, using it uh, in vain, or just not honoring the name of, uh, the name of Yahweh. And so there's that, that was such a sin. So they said, okay, we won't say it at all, so we'll never misuse it. But actually, God is telling Moses to use it. And he's saying, this is my name now. I want to be remembered by this name forever. This is the name I want to be remembered by. And, and, and he says, go back and tell them Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Go tell them that Yahweh has sent me to, to you. Uh, in a few, in a few uh, weeks, I don't know exactly when, but I will show you the, the most ancient, the, the oldest um, inscription of Yahweh discovered anywhere in the world. And it's actually in ancient land of Egypt. Technically today it's in modern day Sudan, way to the south. The oldest inscription of God's name, Yahweh, um, ever, ever discovered. I'll show you that in a few weeks. But, but what does God's name mean? Because that's really what's important. It means I am who I am. It, it means I, I am who I am, but, but also forwards and backwards I will always be the same. I was what I am still. What I am in, in Exodus chapter 3, I will be in Acts chapter 3. What I am now, I will be in 2033. I am what I was, what I, what I was, I will still be, I will always be what I am. I am, I am the same. I am the same. I am exactly who I am. Uh, who is God? Number three, God is who He is. Fact. God is who he is, and, and in every generation people find this extremely irritating that God is who he is because people want God to be who we think that he is or what we would like him to be, but instead God is who he is. He's not who we want him to be. He is who he is. And again, so many people are offended that God isn't as politically correct as they are. Or as, or, as, or as progressive, maybe, a, as they are. They think that God should be like them in, in this generation or have the same values or the same thoughts that they have. But the thing is, God is who He is, and He's always been the same. His values, His thoughts, His, 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 his nature, um, who He is, is exactly the same as Exodus chapter 3, as it is today, and as it will be tomorrow. And so to follow Jesus is to dive into the Bible, to dive into the Bible and find out who God really is. Who is it? What is God really like? What does God actually value and discover that how much he loves you and how much he cares for you? And, and, and yet, I mean, everybody goes on this journey who's really serious about their faith. They, they come to a crux moment, a, a bit of a crisis where where. Where, you know, if they're serious about it, they come face to face with a, an annoying difficulty. The annoying difficulty that the Bible says things about God that we wish it didn't say. Or that we, would, we wish it would say something differently. Or, or that it says things about what God likes or what God values that we don't like. And, and we want it to be different. And, and examples might be connected to, you know, we, want, we wish that God would say stuff different about love or, or relationships or, or, or evil, what's good and what's, what's, what's evil, what's good and what's right and what's wrong, or, or even what God is really like. You know, what, what, we, we can get irritated that the Bible doesn't always agree with, with our opinions on certain things. 
And so we come to that moment, we're face to face with a, a dilemma and we're like, okay, I want God to be how I want Him to be, but the, the truth is He is who He is, so what am I going to do with that now? God is who He is, not what I want Him to be. He values what He values. He's not as progressive as I would, would have wanted Him to be. And the truth is God is better than you want Him to be. But we got to come to that po point of surrender where we stop trying to make God think like we do and look at the Bible and say, okay, He is what He is. He's exactly, eternally the same. And surrender to that. When God reveals His name here to Moses, He's revealing this eternal consistency and, and that, that it's always going to be the case. May oceans rise, empires fall, right? Uh, um, Hamilton. Anyways, every secular society, every secular society wants God to be different. Well, we've got to be committed to, to discovering what God is really like. Now, names are a big deal to God. He says that His name is I am who I am. What does He name His son? Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Yahweh rescues. It's this eternal God that we're looking at. Anyways, God is who He is. Um, after revealing His name, then what? Well, then God starts telling Moses what He wants him to do now, giving him very specific things. And, and He says, go. He's sending them. He's like, go and assemble the elders of Israel, verse 16, and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you. I've, I wish you knew that about God, by the way. I have paid close attention to you. And that's a good thing, out of concern, out of love. Do you believe that about God? Connected to you? That I have paid? I don't feel like God is paying attention to anything I say. I have paid close attention to you. I have paid close attention to you, and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. They, the elders, they will listen to what you say. Then you, along with the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God, to the Lord our God. Um, just, I, I know that I'm saying Yahweh and you're reading the Lord because the English translations, uh, oh, I don't even want to get into this right now, but the word in the Hebrew is Yahweh and because of the, you know, the, the sense of like, do we say God's name or do we not say God's name, um, it's, been, it's been just translated Lord but capital L-O-R-D in your printed English versions. Um, and so I'm just throwing in the name so that you can see that that's what is being said there. Um, ooh. Where was I? Met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip to the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. However, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go, even under force from a strong hand. But when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it, after that he will let you go. And I will give these people such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, I will not go empty hand, you will not go empty handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any woman sitting in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Remember, they're slaves. They've got nothing. They've got nothing. So you will plunder the Egyptians. All their stuff was confiscated about a hundred and some years earlier. You, you will, but you'll, you'll be getting the clothes and the silver and the gold jewelry. You'll plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, what if they won't believe me? 
and, and will not obey me, but say, Yahweh did not appear to you. The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground. He said, so Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. Yahweh told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it. I can't, that might have been a moment. And it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, uh, he continued, so that they will believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, Yahweh said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside a cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Put your hand back inside your cloak, he said. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, then may, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even these two signs, do you think God knows his people struggle with trusting him? Yikes. If they don't believe even after these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the, on the ground. But Moses, re oh, I think we're going to stop there for a second. One more thing that I want to say about God, and, and I think Moses wishes he knew this when he was 40 years old. But God not only calls people, he not only sends people, he not only uses people to rescue others, but he also gives specific direction on how to do that and how he wants that done. Number four, God gives specific directions to those who listen. Moses had a general calling at age 40. He knew it. Acts chapter 7 makes it clear. He knew it. He thought it was so obvious that everyone would know that God had set him apart to bring about the salvation of, of his people, rescuing them from, from slavery. He thought everyone would know that, Acts chapter 7. But, but he didn't have God's how yet. He hadn't been listening to the specific direction. But I love this about God. God doesn't just call us to general things like go and make disciples of, of all nations. Well, yes, we're called to do that, but, but he also gives us specific things as well. Like, you know, like call this person and, and talk to them. Uh, 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 ask them what's going on. God knows they're suffering. Or a message comes to your mind, you're like, oh man, I feel like God wants me to let this person know about this message from, that, I, that I heard on some podcast or I, or, or, I heard, at, uh, oh man, what, what's the name of my, my super great church that I love? Oh yeah, Rehope. Uh, I, uh, this, this one message back then and, and that comes to mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I feel like letting them know, I don't know why this is relevant in their life, but I'm feeling nudged to this. We get specific things by God. For, for me, it, it, I've experienced this several different times, not just go and make disciples, but Brian, quit your job. Let go of your salary, sell all your things, move across the world, move to Scotland to start a church, which you're not going to be able to do unless I do some miracles and, 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 and do the impossible. He gives general, but he also gives specific. He gives the how. He gives the what. So Moses has learned a lot about God in this, in this section of scripture. He's learned that God sees, that God, sorry, that God hears. He's learned that God sees. He learns that God knows. He knows what's going on. He, he learned that God calls. He knows that God sends, that God rescues, that God is who he is, and that God gives specific direction to those who will listen. So in light of all that, how does Moses respond? Not well. He, he's resistant. But, verse 10, but Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord. Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent 
I've never been either in the past or recently since you have been speaking to your servant because my mouth and my tongue are full of poison. I, I, I feel like I, when I, I'm, I, just, I, I just feel like I, when I'm, like I can't, I can't articulate things. Like I feel like, like, and maybe you feel like that when you're trying to tell people about Jesus. Like I, I, ah, I just lose my ability to communicate. It, it made so much sense in the shower this morning, but then when I'm actually talking to them, I, I can't say anything. And he's like, my, my, my tongue is sluggish. The, the Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who, who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing uh, or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go, I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Then Yahweh's anger burned against Moses. And he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he's on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs, the signs with. I don't think I could have said that with enough anger. God was upset there, as it says. Moses did not believe he could do this. He didn't want to do this. I have never been eloquent. Maybe that's actually not true, but it's definitely been true for the last 40 years, maybe. Maybe even looking back at the last several decades, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not as eloquent as I once was. You know, God, please send someone else. And God's angry. Because from God's perspective, God has, set, God has been protecting Moses for this moment all his life. Since he was a baby, he's been watching over him. He's been, he's been protecting him. And, and again, I understand that until this moment right now, we've not seen God and Moses have any, in, any obvious interaction that has been stated in the Bible. We, all we know that God has done, because it was written in the Bible, is that he blessed the Hebrew midwives. But all the protection of Moses and guiding him into being raised in Pharaoh's house and then giving him a home in Midian, all these 80 years, it's never said anything specifically like God did this or God did that. We've only been able to identify God's hidden hand of providence, preserving him, watching over him and guiding him throughout his life and sometimes when we're in the middle of it we don't perceive God's hidden hand over our lives and I, I, I encourage you I challenge you to be continuous God open my eyes to see how you're at work in my life God open my eyes to see how you've guided me and how you've watched over me from the beginning but thus far it hasn't been identified in the Bible at this moment but 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 God's like I have been preparing you for this God is like God is like you weren't born for this. You weren't born to be a shepherd in Midian. You were born to be a savior, a rescuer of my people out of Egypt. God's like, I have made you for so much more than this. God's like, trust me. I will certainly be with you and, and help you. And Moses, Moses is like, I tried that once. I tried to save your people once. I, I, it was the biggest failure and disaster of my life. I, I felt, I believed that you wanted me to do this, and I gave it my best effort, and instead I had to run for my life. It was the worst crash and burn. I don't want to go back to that embarrassment, that shame, that failure again. I tried, I failed, I proved I cannot do this, says Moses. Moses is like, the last time I was in Egypt, I had to escape from my life. It's not safe for me to be there. There's like a death, death warrant on, on my life. I, I, I don't think I'll ever be safe there ever. Moses is like, I've got a good life now. I've got wife and kids, and, and we've we got this nice, simple family life, and we have this, these 
tents and, 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 and the sheep and the goats and, you know, I've got a simple, stress-free life, relatively stress-free. And Moses is like, I just want this simple life. And, and then also Moses says to himself, he's like, I know me and, and I don't have what it takes. I don't have the, the, the eloquence that, that's, that, that is needed to, to do, be about this task. At least I don't have what it, I don't think I ever had enough, but, but I definitely don't now. I don't have what it takes. Now, before we judge Moses for pushing back on God after seeing all this about God, judge not, lest we be judged. I, I know that this, is, this same response is so typical of us. Remember, Moses does it. He actually does it. His first response is pushback. Very often our first response to God's nudges is, is genuinely pushback. And we come up with all these reasons and fears why, why we can't do what God's calling us to do. Or, or why it's not a good idea or why it's too scary or why we don't pick up the phone. Why we don't send that message. Why we don't open our mouths that, during the lunch lunch break or when you're sitting down there and the main issue often when it comes to that is is we're thinking more about what we think we could do as if God isn't there at all and how that's going to go if God's not in this moment versus what what would happen if God's calling us to do this and he's there and he's helping and he's intervening in this passage God tells him all this stuff about what God is like and that God will be with him. He'll do miracles through him. He'll help him speak what Moses resists. Because he just doesn't feel like he's, he can do it. But when God calls you to step out. When he calls you to do something. A, 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 he is with you. He has filled you with his spirit. A, and and he, he will help you in that moment. And yeah, there's times where he, God asks us to do things that are, are too big. They're too big and, and that we can't do without his help. But that's fine. We need to have our eyes on God and not on ourselves. Okay, here's a picture which I think captures it for me. I, I think this picture is awful. This is, this is, this is an awful, uh, mean picture. And yes, I did this to all my kids. So it's that idea of the, the dad, the father in the water. The dad, the father in the water, and you got the little kid on the, on, the, on the side. And the father who loves his child, cares for his child, is calling out to his kid saying, Jump. Jump. And the kid is hesitating. Because the kid is there and maybe he doesn't feel like God's as or the father's as close as you'd like him to be. I wish that you were closer to me. In fact, actually, that, I w that you were like holding on to me before I jumped. I, I wish that you were a little bit closer. Because the thing is, and the kid probably knows this, it better know this, that if it jumps in the water and the father does nothing gonna drown gonna die it's gonna be awful it's gonna be awful and yet there is there is the father out there me standing out there and just being like okay kid okay jump to me i will catch you i will help you i will save you i will rescue you it'll be fun you'll love it you know that that that, that kind of kind of a thing but the kid the kid realizes if if my dad does nothing, I am going to die. And there is that tension. Can I trust my dad? The one who is calling me. The one who is saying, trust me. The one who is saying, jump. And that's what's going on with Moses and God. And very often, that's what's going on between you and God. And God is like, trust me. Jump. I am certainly with you. 
I will help you with what I've asked you to do. I'm asking you to jump and trust me. I am right here. I love you. I'm not going to let you drown. I'm going to be there. You know what this is like in your life, though, that tension of standing on the edge, and you hear that nudge of God, jump, 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 the call of God, jump, 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 and you're like, ah, I can't do it. I, will, I do not have the ability to swim. I can't do what you've asked me to do. God's like, it doesn't matter who you are. I will certainly be with you. I'm right here, and that changes everything. But like this story, it, in order to do that, it starts with knowing God. It starts with knowing God, knowing what God is really like, the one who's calling you to jump, who's calling you to, to go, knowing the one who, who says that he will be with you, knowing the one who, who hears you, knowing the one who sees you, knowing the one who knows you and what is going on in your life, knowing the one who calls you, knowing the one who sends you, knowing the one who rescues, who rescues you and rescues people through you via Jesus and the power of the cross, that, that, to knowing that God is who he is and that he gives specific direction that can be trusted. He says, jump this way, that specific direction, I will jump that way. And just like he was in the days of Moses, so he is in, in our day. He is trustworthy. He is, we can jump when he says jump. Is there anything that you feel like God's been calling you to do? That God's been pushing on you to do? Maybe someone to reach out to. Maybe a big life change that God's been, been pushing on you. My challenge for you today is, is I want you to identify something you think God might be asking you to do. And you're like, yeah, I don't think God's asking me to do anything. Eh, listen more. Spend a little bit of time on that one. You'd be like, God, I, it's great. You're not asking me to do anything. So um, I've got some time. Anything you want me to do, I'm right here. I'm available. I'm willing. Just see. Just see. Identify something that, that you think God might be asking you to do. And then write down a list of things that the Bible says are true about God. Don't write down a list of why you think you can do it or not do it. What does the Bible say about God? And then maybe spend some time, not too much time, but some time asking if God has any specifics about how to be about what he's, he's been asking you to be about. And then go for it. Jump. I want to pray. I want to pray for, for us, for our church, but also for our nation and our generations. God, Father, I ask for you to raise up generations who trust you, who live by faith, who trust you and, and who jump when you say jump, who, who, who say yes to your commands. God, I pray that you would give us a, a, uh, a fire, a joy, a delight in your word. That, that we, would, we, would, we would love what it says about you and what it says about what you, what you, what you love. God, I ask for you to um, raise up in our nation and in the nation's people who are on fire with faith and, and believe you and trust you. God, who are willing to go for it. God, I, I, I thank you for the fact that you are the same, that you are just like this today. And I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the Spirit, what you poured out. Uh, intervene in our lives. Intervene in our world. And use us. Use us to make a difference for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.